0: Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 10 to verse 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherein ye, were, ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God,
1: according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So John has already reminded us that I've been preaching about Joshua. We're progressing through a series here and I called the series Joshua Warrior and Worshipper. And so far we really haven't thought much about Joshua being a warrior we have talked about Joshua and his background Joshua and his book Joshua and the backslider and the believer last time that I preached here we talked about Joshua and his blessings from chapters 3 through 5 of the book of Joshua today we'd like to take a bird's eye just a quick look at Joshua's chapters 6 through 12 and as you get there you you will quickly notice that those chapters 6 through 12 are just full of battles it doesn't quite fit with the last sermon does it when we spoke about and thought about Joshua and his blessings and our blessings that we have in heavenly places in Christ Jesus because the blessings that Joshua and the nation of Israel there experienced are a picture just a dim picture perhaps but a picture of the blessed the wonderful blessings that we enjoy in Christ so how does how do battles fit with blessings doesn't quite fit at first glance but yes the title today Joshua and his battles maybe you're, even now you're thinking that I thought Christians were supposed to be non-resistant how does the thought of war and battles and killing and bloodshed how, and that kind of thing how does that square with non-resistance and God's call on our lives to be non-resistant now uh, let's think about that just a little bit for a couple of minutes and as background go to the Old Testament but, and notice that as we think of this of Joshua and his battles and the battles that we face today in the Old Testament the nation of Israel was commanded to kill And to destroy those nations and those people that were so vile and so unrepentant that they had really forfeited their right to live. We notice that in the book of Joshua and various other places in Old Testament experiences that God commanded Israel, one one of Israel's responsibilities was to destroy their ungodly neighbors. And as we think of that, Let me just quickly say that God is just. God is just. God is just. Several times. of People. Kings or people in Israel. Didn't. They disobeyed God when God asked them to destroy. Their neighbors. Their ungodly neighbors. And they were judged for that. So God is just. God is. And not only is God just. He's a God of justice. And there is a time when his long suffering ends. That was the case in the Old Testament. That's the case for us today. And we will especially see that in the future. When many of the, when the events of the book of Revelation come to pass. As they surely, literally well, will yes God is long suffering but God is also just he's a God of justice not only that but God is right in all his ways we have no right to question God as to his motives or God's will or God's thought on any given subject or his directives his commands God is just God is right and uh, just as an introduction to this subject of Joshua and his battles, I would like, I think it would be fitting for you to keep in the back of your mind through the sermon, and as you think about it this coming week, that God is just and God is right. That's Old Testament. Then in the New Testament, Jesus, with his followers indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Jesus holds us... To a much higher standard. And as I think of that, let me just read a few verses, passages, as we think about what Jesus commanded in the sermon on the mount he said ye have heard that it was said by them of old time thou shalt not kill and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment and whosoever shall say to his brother Reka shall be in danger of the council but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire and so on He also said "Ye have heard that it hath been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile go with him twain. Give to him that asketh. Thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. We'll stop there. In John 18:36, Jesus before Pilate said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight? In Romans, uh, the apostle Paul says, bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And I was delighted to learn a number of years ago, or to understand that verse and that thought about coals of fire just a little bit better for myself. I understand that back in that day, in the ancient world, when someone had done something wrong and was sorry... He would show his regret and he would show his repentance and his sorrow for what he had done wrong by putting a pan of on his head with some hot coals in it. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on one's head. So when we feed our enemy and give him drink... And are not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We're actually helping him in that of repentance and coming to the Lord. To me, that's so wonderful. That possibility and and the power of that. And then there's Ephesians 6.12. Remember, John just read that. And for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. We're not, our battles are not against flesh and blood. In Old Testament days, God's, uh, yeah, the battles that they were to fight under the orders of God were battles against flesh and blood, but that's not the battles that we face today. We face other things, more real and more, awful and we, you often think of that the Bible teaches that our three enemies are the world the flesh and the devil so the battles that we face are different than the battles that Joshua and Israel at that time faced but those battles are a picture of the battles that we yet today are fighting under God and let me say again that Joshua's battles As are ours, are not battles for victory, but they are battles from victory. And there is the world of difference there. They're not for victory, but they're from victory joshua's battles and the nation of israel here were fought from victory ground and that reminds me again of second peter 1 3 god has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness he has provided for victory for us Uh, just a suggestion here in case you're interested it would be a worthy activity for you maybe this week in your devotions or something like that to find and to notice how often and in different ways that God assured Joshua of in the book of Joshua uh, to be strong to not be afraid because that victory is sure there's just lots of places in the book another thing you could do is to find and to notice how often in the New Testament God gives assurance and Commands his people to be strong and not to be afraid because victory is sure thank God for that thank God for Joshua's victories they were battles from victory thank God for our victories that God brings in the midst of our attacks and assaults and onslaughts as we look at the book of Joshua chapter 6 through 12 there are, I notice that there are different kinds of battles and first of three that we'd like to look at types are that Joshua faced battles against major foes and one of those major foes is in chapter 6 it's the city of Jericho of which story you're aware. the f- This was, Jericho was a major vital walled city pretty much in as far as north and south goes in the center of Canaan the promised land. And it couldn't be easily overcome or quickly overcome by a direct assault because of those walls and because of those warriors inside that were
0: uh,
1: pretty able. So it would have been foolhardy for Joshua to order an assault on the walls. The other option open to invading armies in that day when they came up against a walled city was to dig in for a siege and encircle the city and just stay there and stay there until the people inside the city are starved out. Archaeology just within the last number of years archaeologists have have been in Jericho various times throughout the 20th century uh, and just within the last oh, 20 or 30 years, there has been a, a, finds, archaeological finds that, that back up what the Bible says here in Joshua 6. And one of the interesting things is that they have found, as they dug around in the remains of Jericho, large stores of burnt grain. So Jericho was well equipped and well able to stand a siege for quite a while because they had lots of food in the city Uh, John Phillips has said thinking about Jericho that failure here would mean failure everywhere this was a major foe God told Joshua to start with Jericho more quotes by Mr. Phillips It was not Joshua's resolve, his resistance, or his resources that brought victory. It was a case of trust and obey. And I just noticed that one of you selected that song today. Remember we sang it a while back? There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And Israel's and Joshua's victory over Jericho is a beautiful type of that way back in Old Testament days. Trust and obey. Joshua, another quote, Joshua dared to believe that God would sweep away this obstacle as long as he was willing to cooperate with him. As long as Joshua was willing to cooperate with God. That was a major foe, the city of Jericho. It was a major victory that paved the way for additional victories just like when we have a victory a spiritual victory that God uh, brings to us it helps us in other battles yet to come another major foe that Joshua faced is spoken about in Joshua 11 verses 21 through 22 if you would turn there and notice these two verses Two verses that speak about this major foe, Joshua 11 verses 21 through 22. We had just talked about the city of Jericho a little bit, pretty much at the beginning of that campaign uh, as they entered the land of Canaan. Now, one of the last ones or one of the later conquests was this one. Joshua 11:21 and 22, and at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Deber, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the children of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod there remained. The Anakim. What do you know about the Anakims? This was also a major foe. That Joshua and his people. Faced. To Israel. To to the nation of Israel. (laughs) Shame on them. The Anakims were. Different times in their history. Um, Just the name. Or the word Anakim. Conjured up terror in Israel's hearts they were a major foe Anakims equaled terror to them too often remember 40 years before when the 12 spies were sent into the land of Canaan for a scouting trip and they came back 10 of them came back and said you could look at numbers 13 a number of verses there I'm going to be turning there for, uh, for just a few minutes. And you might want to do that too. Numbers 13 verse 28. They came back and they said. Oh it's a great land. It's a land of milk and honey. But but verse 28. We saw the children of Anak. There. So in. Their reason. That they were expressing. Why they we, they couldn't take the land of Israel. There was too many strong people. They started by saying. There's uh, the children of Anak are there. And then they said, talked about the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and all the others that are strong. And then they, at the end of this response as to why they can't do it, they brought up Anak again. Do you see it in verse 32? end of the verse and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature and there we saw the giants the sons of Anak which came which come of the giants and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers and so we were in their sight compared to the Anakims these ten spies said we're like grasshoppers we can't do it can't be done even though God said so nope not us not now certainly not The Anakims brought terror to their hearts. About 400 years later than this, than the incident here in Joshua, Joshua 11, about 400 years later, there was an Israelite army that was terrified because there was one son of Anak or of the family of Anak who spewed out blasphemies of God and defied the armies of Israel remember that in 1st Samuel 17 the entire Israel army was terrified I know that because there's word when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines they were dismayed and greatly afraid verse 11 verse 24 and all the men of Israel when they saw the man fled from him and were sore afraid fortunately Fortunately, there was one young fellow there that day that wasn't scared about that man at all. You know the story. David and Goliath. So, Israel was terrified of the Anakims. But here in Joshua 11, in two little verses, the Bible records kind of like an afterthought that Joshua apparently even kind of easily dealt a death blow to these Anakims, these giants, these huge men. Not because of his resolve, not because of Joshua's resistance or their resources, but because Joshua was willing to trust and obey. Even major foes like the Anakims were defeated. Even major foes like the Anakims were rather quickly and rather easily defeated. That brings us then to the major foes that we battle in our lives today. Like Joshua, the believer in our day cannot rule over a kingdom he has not subdued. No sooner does he stake his claim in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and all the means of grace God has provided, than he discovers in his path a major obstacle to a holy life. That obstacle has to be dealt with first. It may be an enslaving habit, a set of godless friends, a besetting sin, a temperamental weakness, an unsaved girlfriend, or a mean boss. Whatever the obstacle is, it stands in the way of further spiritual progress. This major foe will test whether or not he really means to go all the way with God. And to me, those words resonate, and maybe they do to you too, that there are major foes that we face, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The ten spies grasshopper analogy was probably really pretty much on 40 years earlier. If anything, in comparison to those inveterate and implacable foes, we today of our own strength are like smaller than grasshoppers, before the world, the flesh, and the devil. Do you know what inveterate means, that word I just used? It means to be settled or confirmed, firmly established. And that's how the world, the flesh, and the devil operate and are. Implacable means not to be appeased, not to be pacified. And synonyms, according to dictionary.com, are ruthless, merciless, cruel, grim. Those are the kind of enemies that we face. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And as I think of those three enemies and I think of Joshua and I think of others, I think of Moses. The world put on a very fair face. When it came to Moses. And Moses needed to decide. Moses needed to battle the world. And he won that battle. In Hebrews 11. There's three verses there. That speak of, of Moses decision. To leave. Egypt. And instead of the. Pleasures of sin for a season. To identify with the people of God. Moses there. Left. Position, he left power, he left prosperity, and he was willing to do that. The world was a major battle for him, and he won that battle. When, in the case of the flesh, I instinctively think of, maybe you do too, of Joseph, you know, there with Potiphar's wife. There was, he could have perhaps listed a hundred good reasons why that would not have mattered, I mean really but there was only one reason that it did matter and he articulated that well he said I can't sin against God like that he won the battle against the flesh and then I think of the battling against the devil himself I think of poor old Job who was caught in a contest between God and Satan that might not be said quite right but you understand and Job didn't understand any of that like we looking back can easily understand because it's right there in our Bibles but he said when his wife said curse God and die Job wouldn't do that he won the battle against the devil I think of Moses I think of Joseph I think of Job. I think of Joshua and I think of myself. If Joshua here in these major battles uh, in these battles against major foes, if Joshua teaches us anything at all and if the Bible teaches us anything at all it's that when we trust and obey, victory is sure. And it would just seem Like if anybody would want to. After having articulated that truth. That you could be saying amen in your heart. Or maybe even out loud. If Joshua teaches us anything at all. If the Bible teaches us anything at all. It's that when we trust and obey. Victory is assured because of Jesus. That was the major foes. And then we notice also in chapter 7, 8 and 9. That Joshua faced could we call them minor foes the first one is Ai in chapter 7 just a little city shouldn't be any big issue there in the first couple verses you probably are familiar with that you can certainly be scanning the beginning of chapter 7 there don't you think that if Joshua had consulted the Lord before deploying a few uh, regiments of his soldiers to head up toward Ai? Don't you think if that he had consulted the Lord before he did that that the Lord would have certainly revealed the issue that was in camp that wasn't taken care of. The burning issue. Don't you think so? It seems to me that self confidence and self reliance is in view here so they had just won a major victory over Jericho and God had done it all all they had done was walk around the city a couple times and shout at the right time which was faith and obedience by the way and God did the rest it seems to me You can correct me afterward if I'm wrong. It seems to me that here a little bit of self-confidence was building and a little bit of self-reliance here. Maybe Joshua didn't wait for God to speak as he did then in chapter 8 verse 1. Joshua is a type of Christ in different ways. There are various ways in the book of Joshua that we see Joshua, how that he prefigures Jesus. But here, when facing minor foes, I I say that Joshua here is not a type of Christ. Nate Bang was talking about prayer earlier today, you remember. And I just remember how that Jesus, in Luke six twelve, he prayed all night. What was the occasion that he prayed all night? It was just before he was to have a very big day of choosing his 12 disciples. In Mark 1, the Bible says that he prayed a great while before day... Why did he do that? Because he had just had a big day. So Jesus, before a big day and after a big day, spent large amounts of time in prayer. If you're like me, when, in your busiest days is when you pray at least. Jesus teaches us that the bigger the day, the busier the day, the more we need prayer. Joshua here apparently didn't wait for the word of the Lord. To his credit, though, by the end of chapter 7, he was back to trusting and obeying. And the result is given in chapter 8. There was victory. Victory is assured when we trust and obey against even against this minor foe even minor foes we cannot do on ourselves even minor battles and enemies that you face today you can't do on your own and I can't either major ones we understand that that takes god minor ones oh that we would understand it takes god another minor more moderate foe that, he fe- that Joshua faced was Gibeon in chapter nine, the city of Gibeon. Don't you think that if Joshua had consulted the Lord first before reaching a decision, that God would have revealed that these Gibeonites were being deceptive? Look at a phrase in Joshua 9:14 and when you get to Joshua 9 14 you will see what phrase I'm thinking of won't you and ask not counsel at the mouth of the Lord and he made peace with them verse 15 it seems to me that self wisdom and maybe even self congratulation are displayed here self congratulation they were I'm just guessing that they were thinking, these people come from far away to make peace with us? We must really have a name. It must be self-congratulation. Joshua is a type of Christ in several ways, but not here. To Joshua's credit, by the end of the chapter, he was back to trusting and obeying. and to also to Joshua's credit he kept his word he had made a mistake because he hadn't consulted the Lord self-wisdom self-congratulation but he made, had made a vow to these, he had promised these Gibeonites that they could be hewers of wood and drawers of water and be servants of theirs and he kept his word Ecclesiastes five five. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. So I appreciate that Joshua kept his word. So here are two more minor foes. After the major ones, there were the minor ones, the Ai and the Gibeons. And we understand, don't we? Again, I... I'd just like to press that point that we understand that it was easier for Joshua to trust and obey when he was up against major foes than when he was up against minor foes. It's easy for me to understand that. I think it's easy for you to understand that because that's the way we are. The minor foes that we battle. Let's think about that. The minor foes that we battle. The major ones are the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's a lot of minor foes. that which we battle in our life here on earth Nate mentioned a few like failing health or maybe lack of acceptance or wayward children or extreme busyness or a failing business venture or death or deaths in the family And maybe I haven't hit on yours yet, but you could add to that list. Minor foes. When we battle them ourselves, it's probably because of self confidence, self reliance, self wisdom, self congratulations. There's a biblical term for these attitudes it's called pride and God tells us in the Old Testament and twice in the New Testament that God resisteth the proud and let me just say again as you might remember that I I said before that God doesn't say here in, in those verses that God resists the adulterers or the homosexuals. Or the abortionists. Or the murderers. Or anything like that. Or the embezzlers. But God resisteth the proud. But he does give grace to the humble. That same, those same verses say. Thank God that he gives grace to the humble. When minor foes attack you. When minor foes attack me. Let's like Joshua. Joshua trust and obey but wouldn't it be wonderful if under the mighty hand of God if we could do that even sooner than Joshua did minor foes Joshua faced battles against major foes he faced battles against minor foes and he also faced battles against multiplied foes notice in Joshua 10 and Joshua 11 in Joshua 10 there was the Amorite coalition and you read about it in the first couple of verses there Adonai Zedek king of Jerusalem got scared no wonder with good reason and with Jericho Ai and Gibeon now under the control of the Israelis Israel held the high ground in the middle of the country in the pivotal center And so, basically, the land of Canaan was split in two because Jericho, Ai, and Gibeon was kind of a line in the center. And so, down in the south, Adonai Zedek, expecting strength in numbers, of course, recruited his neighbors, neighboring cities, city kingdoms, to unite against the threat that they faced from Israel. Israel. And after he was able to form that coalition, shrewdly, I think smart for him, he attacked Gibeon rather than a frontal assault on Israel itself down in Gilgal. And Joshua, in response to this multiplied foe, there was at least, I think it's less five, a coalition of five nations, cities, Against that multiplied foe, Joshua responded in verse 7 and verse 10, verse 9, 7 and 9. Both of them talk about how Joshua ascended, well verse 7 and verse 9 says that they went up from Gilgal, and verse 7 says they ascended from Gilgal, and we're told that there, it was about 20 miles to where this eni- this enemy force had gathered and about 3,000 feet up. So in a night's forced march, they w- gained an altitude of about 3,000 feet and went 20 miles. Must have taken all night. Must have taken a lot of stamina. It reminds me of, if I can say, Stonewall Jackson in the Civil War his forces often traveled so fast that people called him called his army the foot cavalry. Cavalry, you know, is horses. And so here, in response to this multiplied foe, there was a double miracle that God provided for the nation of Israel because they trusted and obeyed. God provided huge hailstones that killed more of the enemy than what they themselves did and the sun stood still for a long time and they were able to finish off the job multiplied foes another multiplied foe is spoken about in Joshua 11 the next chapter and here Jabin the king of Hazor gets concerned about things and he also does the same thing he patches together a alliance a coalition and this was the biggest threat to Israel yet notice in verse 5 and when all these kings were met together they verse 4 is what i want and they went out they and all their hosts with them much people even as the sand that is upon the seashore in multitude with horses and chariots very many so do you see there the infantry the hosts and do you see cavalry? Horses? And do you see the tanks? Well, chariots. And Josephus, writing much later, hundreds of years later, Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that there was, don't know how he knew, knows or anything, but he said there was 100,000 foot soldiers and 20,000 chariots. All mobilized against Israel, and they were going to do the number on these upstarts. And I can imagine Israeli scouts, just my imagination here, but I would guess that they had Israel had some scouts looking out to see what's happening and and if they got were able to get close enough to camp there they and if they could see all those people down there close to the sea um, to the lake, that vast horde, and I can just imagine that those scouts uh, thinking look at all that equipment if we can just somehow win this battle and get all those horses and all those chariots and all those swords and spears and bows and arrows if we could somehow get that we would be fixed for the duration we would have all the modern equipment that we need we would be in and God's message to Joshua And to the nation of Israel. Is verse 6. And the Lord said unto Joshua. Be not afraid because of them. For tomorrow about this time. Will I deliver them up. All slain before Israel. Thou shalt hawk their horses. And burn their chariots with fire. What? Thou shalt hawk their horses. And burn their chariots with fire. To hawk a horse. Is to hamstring it. So that it's. No good anymore at all for war. And not even hard labor, although the, the horse could still do some mean, uh, light type labor. Helpful kinds of things, but the horse could never again be used in war. Hawk the horses, burn the chariots. Why would God say that? Why wouldn't God say gather all the horses you can and use them in your next battles and those chariots I just provided them for you so that you can win more battles. I think it was because God wanted Israel to trust the Lord Much more than chariots or horses or kings or anything like that. Don't you think so? The lesson here though is verse 9. And Joshua did unto them as the Lord bade him. He hawked their horses and burnt their chariots with fire. Trust and obey. He rendered all those weapons of war which they captured useless. I'm just amazed at that because that says loud and clear Israel was saying Joshua was saying Israel was saying loud and clear now maybe not these exact words but they were saying that by their actions that we don't need modern equipment we don't need battle tested tactics all we need is God and hopefully in the multiplied foes that we battle have you noticed that trials and testings often come in clusters I've noticed that different times in my life, a couple times at least. And when those clusters of trials come, we bend and sometimes we almost break, don't we? Under the weight and the strain of multiplied battles and foes. Are we learning through all of that that God's answer in the midst of major foes and God's answer in the midst of minor foes and God's answer in the midst of multiplied foes that because that since we're fighting from victory, if we trust and obey, He'll bring amazing and complete and total victory again and again. Because He has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Major foes. Minor foes. Multiplied foes. Where are you today? Maybe it seems like you are having all three. God is able. If, we, if you trust and obey. If we trust and obey. We won't fight for victory. Brothers and sisters. But we will fight from victory. And the battle is the Lord's and the victory will be his thank God for victory in Christ Jesus in closing I thought of a song that was popular back when I was young you know back in the 70's and I'm not going to sing it here but let me just read the words keep on the firing line. If you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the firing line. If you win, my brother, surely you must fight. Keep on the firing line. There are many dangers that we all must face. If we die still fighting, it is no disgrace. Cowards in the service will not find a place, so keep on the firing line. Oh, you must fight. Be brave against all evil. Never run or even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. Last verse, last stanza. When we get to heaven, brother, we'll be glad. Keep on the firing line. How we'll praise the Savior for the call we had. Keep on the firing line. When we see the souls that we have helped to win, leading them to Jesus from the paths of sin... With a shout of welcome, we will all march in. So keep on the firing line. Oh, you must fight. Be brave against all evil. Never run nor even lag behind. If you would win for God on the right, just keep on the firing line.